clap. God is good. He's good. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. Uh, we're really glad you guys are here uh, to worship with us. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the executive pastor here at Church in the Valley. And we are in the middle of a series called uh, Questions for Jesus that we launched uh, on Easter. And just like the title of the series, it's really uh, kind of framed in if we were able to sit down with Jesus and ask him some questions, uh, what were some of those questions be? And we actually have pulled some questions that many people have as they learn about what Christianity is or if they try to consider what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so over the past two weeks, we've been looking at uh, is Jesus who he said he was? Uh, we began that on Easter. Is, is he unique? Is he different than other teachers that have kind of come across history? Uh, last week, we actually looked at kind of the exclusiveness of Christianity. Is Jesus the only way to God? Is he the only way that one can experience eternal life? And so these questions are real questions. You may have them yourself or you may have wrestled with them. Uh, you may still be asking them. And the point of this is to really... Uh, not kind of talk so much about theory, but actually dig into the scriptures to find what Jesus himself said. And today we're actually going to put the spotlight on the scriptures themselves, because today we're going to be talking about why take the Bible seriously. And if you've been to church before, a uh, Lord willing, they actually talked about the Bible and you kind of heard the Bible. And as you kind of dig into Christianity, you, you might find that the Bible is kind of central to a lot of things. And, and that really is true. To follow Christ means that you have to have a certain view of the scriptures because to the Christian, the scriptures are actually a very, very big deal. And so there's a question that we all must ask, which is why? Why take the Bible seriously? And today we're going to look at what did Jesus have to say about the Bible and what were the statements that he himself made? And then we're going to actually look at some reasons that that you can take the Bible seriously yourself. And so depending on where you are, you may think that the Bible is, is a great book. You may think that. Frankly, the Bible is something that, that you've not really spent much time in. But you know every hotel across America, you open that top drawer and you'll see one. And that's you know, true. You'll, you'll find script, uh, the Bible kind of everywhere in our country. In fact, there are stats done in, in recent years that show, and we have a, an image for this, that 88% of Americans own a Bible. 88% they own a Bible. It's in their house. Okay? Um, You'll see 4.7 average number of Bibles per household. 37% of Americans read it once a week or more. Now, of the 88% that own a Bible, 56% are considered pro-Bible, which is they believe the Bible is actually inspired and it's the Word of God. So high ownership, a little less people that believe it actually is the Word of God. In fact, in the last three years, there's actually kind of a rise in those that are skeptical about the Bible. And you'll see that in the next image. 19% are engaged in the scriptures and 19% are skeptical. Now, engaged means that somebody is actually reading it about four or more times a week. And they consider it the word of God inspired by God himself. Uh, 19% of skeptics think it's just a book made by man that contains some teachings or advice. So when you look at that, there's kind of a rise in skepticism that people have towards the scriptures, but there's heavy ownership. And so what that means is there's a large number of Bibles that exist in our homes, but not a whole lot of people that actually read it. And so for you, you may be in that, like you, you kind of, you maybe own a Bible, you may have read it in the past, but there's a part of us that you just have to get to the point where what's the point of the scriptures and what do we do with this book that 
so many people have talked about. And you may even wonder yourself if there's certain sayings that you've heard and you're thinking, is that in the Bible or did I make that up or is that legend? And, and so we're going we're gonna to dig into this. And so depending on where you are, whether you're engaged, whether you're skeptical, where you're, whether you're somewhere in between, we hope today is, is a help to you to kind of get the sense of, okay, well, what do I do with this thing called uh, the Scriptures? And so I want to begin by looking actually at what Jesus himself uh, said. What was his view of the Scriptures? And there's two main verses that really kind of summarize Jesus' view. Uh, the first is found in Matthew 5, 18. And in this scripture that you can read up on the screen, he, he really has this high view of, of scripture. And he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now the scriptures in the Old Testament were written in Hebrew. And there's a lot of like parts of the, the, the lettering that has the iota or a dot. It's, it's kind of this small part that makes up. It's kind of like if you have an I and you dot the I, that would be kind of like the iota. It's like the small part of the lettering. And so what Jesus is saying is that this thing, my words and the words of my Father, God, and all that you've, you've read in this scripture, not any of this is going to pass away. Like all this will stand to the smallest part. As you see, he has this, he's taking it seriously. Saying, you know, all this stuff is, is for real. And this is really him referring to the Old Testament. Now, it's difficult to actually ask Jesus what his view of the New Testament was because it actually wasn't written when he was there. In fact, a lot of the New Testament is about himself. And so he didn't really talk about the New Testament. But there is a passage which he describes to his disciples kind of what would happen. In a way, he's predicting kind of how the New Testament would be formed. And it was going to come from those that followed his life closely. And he says this in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus said this, keeping in mind that he was going to be going back to heaven. This was after he had raised from the dead and he wanted to explain that I'm going to be leaving, but my Holy, the Holy Spirit will come and... and I'm sorry, this was actually before the resurrection. He's describing that he's going to have this, this death, and they were very fearful. And he says, but in my death, I'll come back, I'll go back to heaven, but, you know, fear not. The Holy Spirit will come. And he points to the fact that the Holy Spirit will allow you to remember and bring to the mind all the things that I've said. And really, this is this prediction of how this New Testament would be formed of all the things that Jesus said and all the accounts of, of his life. And so in both those, you get the sense that God is at work. He's in work in the accounts. His spirit is, is moving to actually bring the words to the pages that, that we read today. So in those two verses, you see that, that Jesus actually, he had this view of Scripture that was, it was important. And part of this series has been looking at the identity of Jesus. And it's actually something that we must wrestle with. Because to wrestle with the identity of Jesus and what he said is also meaning that we have to wrestle with the Scriptures. Because his view of the Bible is something that is tied to his identity. Because if we really believe that Jesus is God, that he lived the life that the scriptures say he did, and that he rose from the dead, and he has authority, then the words he says about the scriptures we, we take seriously. And so this is all, again, tied to who Jesus is. And so if you're still wrestling with that, wrestling with Jesus and his identity is still going to be key to wrestling with the idea of what to do with the scriptures. And so it kind of all hinges uh, on that. So there's some questions as well that people wanted to ask of Jesus about the law. And Jesus came and he was a new teacher and 
they hadn't really experienced a teacher like this that seemed to just know people's thoughts and experiences and people had never seen authority like he had. And so they asked them a lot of questions. They wanted to know a lot about the law. They wanted to know a lot about the commands. They wanted to kind of get this insight. Some were questioning him. Some wanted help. Some wanted to kind of put him in a corner so they could kind of poke holes in his teaching. But again and again, Jesus took his view of Scripture, the fact that it will remain, it can't be broken, it has authority, and he kind of creates these two broad spectrums for how the Scriptures are useful. And the reason I want to share this is, anytime you talk about the Bible, there's a sense in which use. And Jesus, in his life, he really came to show what to do with the commands that God gave. And he came to really show that they're not just ideas, they're not just this burden that's supposed to be on people and they're supposed to kind of be crushed under them, but really the commands and the teachings of God are actually supposed to be life-giving. They're actually supposed to help. They're supposed to provide clarity. They're supposed to give us a sense of, in the fog of life and the decisions that we're supposed to make and the conflicts that we face, the scriptures are actually what helps lift the fog so we can begin to move forward and experience God's best in life. And that was really Jesus' view. So he came and again and again he was saying, here is what the commands are all about. So that you can follow the Lord your God with everything in you. And you can love people so they know that I make a difference in your life. And so this is again and again how he viewed the scriptures. And so he, he started in his teaching talking really about how the Bible provides a solid foundation for life. And you find that uh, in Matthew 7. And he's talking about the fact that you have to build your life on something. But the people that build their life on the word of God and on God's commands, and they do what God says, they're, they're actually building their life on a solid foundation. You may have heard the people that, in the, the scriptures, that they build a life either on the rock or the sand. Well, those that obey God, they're building their life on the rock. It's a solid foundation. Those that kind of just take the ideas but do what they want to do anyways... They're like building their life on the sand. And he's saying, compare those two foundations. Those who actually obey the scriptures have a solid foundation that can't be broken. Those who just think it's ideas, but not really practical or not really something that has authority, they're like building their life on the sand. And so you see, he kind of paints this picture and he draws a line. And he says, this, this is the view. It, it provides a solid foundation. There's another thing that Jesus came and he taught about the scriptures and the commands. And this was that God expects us to actually do them, not just talk about it. This was something Jesus, again and again, as he faced the religious leaders of the day, he wanted them to know. It's not just about the words that you say. It's not just about the ideas that you, you, you tell people. But this is the foundation of life. He says this in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, Sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So Jesus came, and if you've not read much about Jesus' life... There's again and again these accounts of how he engaged the people that were leading in the name of religion and really to the people that were following them said, hey, this, this is not right. I'm going to go back to the original intent 
of the commands. I'm going to show you what following me is all about. And he uses this really kind of direct rebuke of the religious leaders to say, it's not about just putting heavy burdens on people. It's not just about saying what other people should do. If you want to experience the Bible and the scriptures for what they are and how they intend them to be, then it means that you actually have to obey. You have to do it. You have to have an experience. You actually have to take what God's word says and and trust that that's right and act on it. So I was thinking about this this view that Jesus had. And again and again, he's kind of saying, it's, it's not what you've heard from other people. I want you to hear it from me myself. And it's not what you've heard from other people and their experiences, but I want you to experience it yourself. And so again and again, he's pulling people to the fact that you have to try out the word of God for yourself. You have to understand, is this really a rock or is it sand? Is it something that makes a difference when I obey it or doesn't it? So I was thinking about the Bible and kind of in our new technology, it's kind of like people experiencing a cell phone for the first time. Many times during a month, I say to myself, what was life like before a cell phone? Have you found yourself saying that? You know, maybe something goes wrong with your car and you pull over to the freeway and you're thinking like, I'll just call AAA. They'll be here in 30 minutes or less. And I got it made. And then all of a sudden you see call boxes on the side of the freeway and you're like, what is that? Well, call boxes exist because there weren't cell phones. And so if you broke down, you maybe have to walk a half mile on the busy freeway to get to a call box because you didn't have a cell phone. Or there's times like at Christmas I'm shopping and I'm in a store and my family's in a different store. And I'm thinking, what would I do without a cell phone? Because I'm done shopping and I can't find them and I don't know where anyone is. Back in the day, you had to use like the mall intercom. And that's a way to embarrass like your whole family. Like, oh, Samantha Bertha, your husband is waiting for you. Uh, I think he's tired. He's on the bench. Right? No, you text. You, you know, you have this, this experience. Like, I find myself again and again, like, how did people without cell phones do it? Right? We, we think that. But there's an experience we have where once you kind of have this access to be able to communicate with people, you think, how did people ever talk before? Like, how do relationships exist without texting? Well, it's weird. People actually talked face-to-face. What? It's so weird. But once you experience the cell phones, what if in this room I had this bucket on top and I did the cell phone challenge and I said, okay, for the next month, everyone put your cell phone in this bucket. What would your experience like be like at Church in the Valley today? I hate that church. They took my cell phone away. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't even know how to get out of here because I use my GPS everywhere. Right? Your experience would be awful. You'd never come back, but you would because I have your phone. Right? But that's really what Jesus is saying related to the scriptures. There's a sense in which once you experience the word of God and you read it for yourself, And you take an idea and you actually decide that maybe I can make a decision based on what God said. And you see that it makes a difference. It's like experiencing something for the first time. You don't know how you did it before. That's what Jesus is saying. Once you're on the rock, you don't want to be on the sand. Once you've done what God says, you don't want to not do what he says. And so if you can, for the rest of our time, as we look at some different reasons to trust the word of God, the backdrop is always... It's really in the doing that it makes sense. That's difficult because sometimes it's like, well, how can I do it if I don't believe it? 
How can I obey if I don't trust it? And so there's a part in which God does not remove the faith edge to following him. He doesn't. That's a huge part of Christianity. You are not going to have all the answers to all your questions. So even as we do this series, questions for Jesus, not every one of your questions is going to be necessarily answered. But what you have to decide is, do I know enough based on the evidence, based on what I've researched, based on the testimonies of other people that I know, do I know enough to actually believe that this could be worth something looking into? Whether it's following Jesus himself or reading the scriptures. So despite maybe all the questions that you have, you have to come to the point is, how do I have enough information and evidence to move forward? So in light of that, I want to just walk through some things that for me personally have helped me to decide that I can put the weight of my life on the rock of the word of God. And in these, I hope that you too can kind of look at these and say, you know what, God's really provided this so we can do that as well. And so the question is, why should I trust the Bible enough to really put the weight of my life on it? Okay, if, if the scriptures are a big deal to people who follow Christ, then you're really saying that what God says, I'm willing to do. That's what being a Christian is all about. What Jesus tells me to do, I'm willing to do. That's serious. We don't just take the advice of anybody. There's a part of us that really we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We're independent people for the most part. But if you follow Christ, what you're saying is, your words trump my thoughts. Your ways trump my ideas. And you know that as you read the scriptures. And you begin to challenge your ideas versus God's ideas. But the Christian is one that says, you know what? I'll follow you. And so if you're wrestling with this, here's some other things that can kind of provide some evidence for you. Now, this first point I've already stated, but I'm going to say it again. This is why you can trust the Word of God, because Jesus actually said it was the Word of God. Now, you remember like the time when you kind of asked your parents something, and you just wanted to know the reason why you needed to do something, but oftentimes it was because you didn't want to do it, and your mom or your dad said, because I said so. Isn't that one of the worst things? And then you think that's an awful thing as a kid, and then you become a parent, and like, that's the only explanation you can think of. And then you see your mom and your dad in yourself. I've had that so many times. I, it's like my kids explain something. And, and in a moment, I actually don't know why they need to do it necessarily, except because I told them to. And that's actually all they need to know in a given situation. Now, it's good to provide some backdrop and perspective, but sometimes it's because you will get run over by that car that's coming. I don't want them to experience that to realize it. So Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm really here to, to prove that what God said is true. So again, his identity and his authority is key. There's some that have a high view of Jesus. Like, man, I love Jesus. I love what he says, but I just can't trust the Bible. I said, it doesn't work. You have to have a high view of Jesus and a high view of Scripture because that's what Jesus did. In fact, he's the fulfillment of the scripture. And it's vice versa. You can't have a high view of the Bible, but not a high view of Jesus. They're both mutually exclusive. You, you have to have the same. Okay? So Jesus, he said it was the word of God. Now, the second thing is, is there's actually fulfilled prophecy that's strong evidence for its inspiration. So when you read the Old Testament, uh, there's a lot of, of prophecy about things to come. These are things that are going to happen in the future. Well, when you read in the New Testament specifically about Jesus' life, 
you actually find a great deal of fulfillment in them. So again and again in the scriptures, there's this thus saying the Lord. They're saying, I'm speaking on God's behalf. These are some things that are going to happen. And Jesus' life was a fulfillment of so many of those prophecies. In fact, there's a prophecy uh, in the book of Exodus and Psalms in the scripture that talk about the Messiah and how he's going to be killed, but his bones aren't going to be broken. And, you know, in the Old Testament, as they were kind of looking at these teachings, they're thinking, okay, what does that mean? And it's kind of odd and strange. Well, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, a lot of times people that were crucified, they'd break their bones so they would suffocate and die quicker death. When Jesus' case, as he was crucified on the cross, the Roman soldier went to go break his bones, but he was already dead. And so they didn't break his bones. So it was like this anomaly. Like really to get crucified on the cross means that you'd get a broken bone. That was part of how they killed you. But in Jesus' case, he was already dead, and so no bone was broken. And you may think, like, that's a strange coincidence, but think about that. Thousands of years before, it was written that this would happen. And Jesus himself fulfilled that it did. No bone was broken. There's another uh, prophecy uh, found in the scripture about the city of of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. And this was like a bustling city at the time, and it was predicted that this city was going to be destroyed. And it was going to be laid in ruins. This would be like me coming and saying something about Los Angeles. Okay, you think Los Angeles, you think huge. You think influence. You think power. You think just people. But if I were to say something about Los Angeles, everyone, there's no way that could happen. But in the Old Testament, the city was destroyed. This city that no one thought could happen. And to this day, the archaeological evidence points to the fact that this city lays in rubbles in Lebanon. All you can see is a city its foundation a city that was bustling at the time that this was said but the prophecy came true it was destroyed and again and again as you read the scriptures and you see these prophecies some prophecies haven't come true yet but there are so many hundreds of references of prophecies that were made and they were fulfilled so there's a sense in which okay if you actually believe that's true then that, that has actually a lot of weight to it there's something about predicting the future and then it coming true that it's pretty believable. But that's what you find in the scriptures. There's also the support of, archaeologically, of archaeological evidence regarding the cultures, places, and people mentioned in the scriptures. And so a lot of people have kind of this view of the Bible like it's not historical. It, it doesn't really line up with the way the world was in that time. And so they kind of disregard it. They put it in a corner. And this happened in an instance with the people of the Hittites. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, they kept talking about the Hittites, the Hittites, the Hittites. Well, modern archaeologists modern archaeologists, had never heard or seen any, any evidence of this group of people. And so a lot of scholars, a lot of just biblical scholars, a lot of archaeologists decided, okay, this is another reason why... The record of the scripture doesn't really match reality because there's this people that's mentioned again and again and we find no evidence of it. Well, some of the time what happened is it's, the evidence hasn't been found yet. And in 1906, okay, that's a lot of years past the predictions of the scripture. And a lot of years people were looking. But in 1906, they actually conducted a dig that confirmed the existence of the Hittites. They found their capital city and 40 other cities that made up its empire. 
Because something that couldn't be true. No way that could happen because we haven't seen it ourselves in 1906. Stuff began to crop up they hadn't found before. And as they began to look at the different inscriptions about this area, it's the Hittites. This group that no one had ever found is now found. So archaeology and history, the evidence, points to the scriptures as, as being true. It's real. In fact, there's a, a like world-renowned Jewish archaeologist that said this. It may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Okay, he's, he's not a Christian. He's a Jewish scholar and archaeologist. And what he's saying is, frankly, that there's not really any evidence in archaeology that points to the fact that it wasn't true. If you think about it, that's, if you're an archaeologist, you kind of hope it is true, right? Because what are you digging for? Right? You actually hope that you can find this stuff. And so there's a sense in which they found these ruins and they found these inscriptions and they found these... They, Pointed again and again to the biblical account. And so you see the Jesus' view on it, you see the fulfillment of prophecies, you can see even archaeology supports it. There's another reason that actually can give you some helpful evidence to trusting the Bible, and that is it actually has literal integrity. It has literal integrity in the amount of manuscripts that exist. Um, I don't know if you were in college. Uh, maybe high school, but if you ever learn like Plato and Aristotle, I myself was not that motivated by Plato or Aristotle. I'll admit it. I wanted like the movie version, okay? But that's a big part of study in, in our universities today, Plato and Aristotle and their philosophical teachings. Well, for their teachings, there exists about 10 manuscripts that people look at that has their teachings on. They're, they're ancient, ancient teachings. But there's 10 manuscripts. But no one questions the existence of Plato and Aristotle's teachings because 10 manuscripts exist. Do you know for the scriptures, 14,000 manuscripts exist? 14,000. I wasn't good in math, but I think that's more than 10. But we don't question Plato and Aristotle, but there's a part where it's like, uh, was this written by man? Is this true? But you look at the manuscripts and 14,000. And what's crazy about the 14,000, they all align in the central theme. So the literal integrity is not just the amount of manuscripts that exist, but the message. The message actually goes together. Different authors written under the authority of God with the same theme. God's plan for humanity, humanity's rebellion, and then God's plan to redeem it. You see that again and again, Old Testament, New Testament. How does that work? You have people from different cultures and different time periods that all have this central message. How does it work? And how do the manuscripts actually exist that match that up? So there's a part of it. If you want the evidence, you can find it. If you want the evidence, you can find it. But the the actual fifth way that I think is the strongest evidence is actually as you personally yourself get into the scriptures. And this is the personal confirmation of its inspiration as you read it yourself. Again, that's what Jesus pointed to. Now, he showed them many miracles. He showed them many fulfillments of prophecies. But again and again, he was saying, blessed are those that do and obey the word of God. Because he knew that if you obey it, the evidence is actually not the most important thing to you anymore. The evidence is in the fact that it changes your life. And this is where all of us need to be. To have a view of the Bible, we actually have to be willing 
to take God up on some of the things that he says. Some of Jesus' teaching, when he says you'll be blessed if you do things, have we tried it? Will I be blessed if I do that? Jesus again and again was saying, you, you have to not just take this view back here that this could be true. You actually have to take a step and say, you know, I'm, I don't know. But I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm not only going to investigate it, but I'm actually going to maybe take God up on some of the things he said. There's a risk. But it's a risk worth taking because what if it's true? What if you can experience your life on the rock versus the sand? I don't know about you, but that's a risk worth taking. That's what Jesus said. So I heard a guy, a wise man say, as you read the Bible, it reads you. What that mean? Like As you read the Bible, it reads you. And you know, again and again, as I've read the scriptures, there's been a sense of it just describes me on the inside out. It does. It just cuts right to the core of like, problems I have, thoughts I have. And it just kind of puts it in this perspective where it's like, there's an understanding of me as a man, as a human, as a dad, as a husband. There's an understanding. As I read scriptures, it defines exactly who I am, exactly what I need, to where no one else could do that. And it's true. As you read it, it reads you. And as you obey it, you actually get the sense that this is the word of God. It has authority. Because it ends up actually making a difference in my life. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, the things that I mentioned today, there's a lot of research. And there's an additional sheet uh, in the program. If you'd like just to read more, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to investigate. And so there's an additional sheet where you can look at different resources. Now, part of those are links. And like... You're going to have to actually type in those links because, you know, it's hard to copy and paste paper. I apologize, but you could take your cell phone. Maybe take a picture if I let you have it back once you've turned it in. Okay, but check out those links and that can cut. That's just some good resources. And there's some books as well that you can check out. Uh, I actually in closing, I, I want just to hear from somebody that over the past few months has kind of got exposed more to the word of God. And I'm going to invite Ryan Eaton up to share this morning. Uh, Ryan has been a part of a training program that we call North Star that we're piloting this year. It's part of the Hope Global Network, which we're a part of. And a big part of this training is really getting people into the scriptures and allowing them to read it for themselves. And so Ryan, over the past few months, since about September, uh, has been reading a lot of the Bible. And I thought, why not hear from somebody that's actually been really reading it intentionally over the past few months? And so I just have a few questions and we're going to dialogue a little bit. But the first question I have for you, Ryan, is uh, anytime you talk about the scriptures, there's a sense in which we all have barriers. They could be preconceived notions, uh, experiences that we've had. But did you face any barriers in your own life as you were kind of getting into the scriptures? Definitely. Um, I think the main one was just I was really intimidated. Um, any Bible I always had was, was pretty thick and it was always very intimidating, um, a daunting task. I didn't know about the time commitment. Um, plus, I didn't know where to start. I knew there would probably be places where I didn't understand kind of what was going on or how it would fit together. Um, plus, I'm really good at starting things. So I would have, you know, a Bible reading plan or an app on my phone. 
And as soon as I got off track, I would just kind of give up and, and that would be it. So it's like day 30 and on day two, it's hard. Or day one. Day one. <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. It's day one for most of us. Okay. All right. So what, what were some things that, despite those barriers, what, what were some things that kind of helped you uh, move past it? Well, like you mentioned, the, the, the North Star program, it has a really pretty fast-paced um, Bible reading plan. And I knew um, as part of the weekly assignments, I was going to be held accountable for the reading. So it was something that I just knew I had to get done. Um, I would listen on CD on my way to and from work, um, read, you know, lunch hour at work or any time I could because I knew I had, um, I knew I had to be accountable for that, that I, it was my responsibility. Um, plus, my wife was also going through it, so I had the accountability right there as well where we kind of made sure um, we were both on the same caught up with our reading and really focused on that. Okay. So it was the sense of you, you needed accountability, you needed something in place so you, you'd get this into your life. Exactly. It was, it was the couple folds of, you know, my wife right there, but then also the, the program that I was a part of okay. and the teacher and instructor and the other people in the group. Okay, great. Now, what I've just talked about is the sense of there's a lot of uh, evidence that kind of shows the authority of the scripture, but kind of builds this idea of as you read it, it reads you and and it's actually practical. And so as you've been reading, is there something that kind of stands out that this has actually made a difference in, in your life? It's, um, it, it's really helped me kind of realize how to act or actually rather react. Um, driving the freeways or driving any roads, it's, you know, somebody uses the shoulder to get in front of you and merge. Um, really frustrating, really had a hard time with that. And a friend... <laughs> A friend had mentioned a verse one time, and at the time, it, it didn't mean anything to me. Um, and then when I was actually reading and came across that, that verse, um, it just, the, pages, or the words just really jumped off the page at me. It was Proverbs 19.11, where a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And that just really hit me. It wasn't enough just to forgive that person. Or it felt really passive just to let it go. I was actually being active to choose to overlook that offense. And it was actually to my glory to do that. And kind of having that opinion has it really transformed over into, you know, um, the rest of areas of my life, work and home and family. That's great. Now, if you don't think the scripture has authority, if it changes the way you react on a freeway, <laughs> that is evidence. Okay. Uh, last but not least... You know, we're, we're all in different places, and some have experienced the scriptures, like you said, and, and it's actually made an impact. But what would you say to somebody that's they're just kind of starting out? They may be skeptical. They may not read it. What were some things that you'd say to encourage them? I, I would think first uh, find somebody to be accountable to. Um, tell somebody what your plan is or what you'd like to do, so that they can hold you accountable to that. Um, they're going to follow up with you, so that you have, you know, you're going to you're trying to do that, so you have an an answer for them. You don't want to be embarrassed when they call you and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I kind of told you that. Um, and then also I would just not be discouraged. I mean, that was the big thing for me was when I got off a plan just to delete that app off my phone or throw that piece of paper away. But just, to, you know, if you miss a day, just pick up the next day and don't be discouraged. It's just keep going at it. Well, great. Thanks, bro. Let's give Ryan a hand. Thank you. appreciate uh, Ryan's perspective. As I close, I, I just want to encourage you, like Ryan said, there's a sense in which you just have to, you just have to try this out and you have to read the scriptures. And so uh, there's some next steps that you can take. But the first next step, uh, Church in the Valley, we always do next steps. 
And the first next step today is really it's reading, reading the Bible. And so if you've never read the scriptures or you've just kind of gotten away from reading it, I just want to encourage you, start reading the scriptures every day for the next 30 or 40 days. Now, if you think, well, that's like a month, uh, longer. What you do is you just decide tomorrow that you'll do it. And here's something that I do with a new habit. If you've gone to bed and you haven't yet done it, don't go to bed until you do. Because I've learned once you go to bed, that actually signals the end of the day. And it's really hard for me to read my Bible with my head on my pillow. So if you're like looking at your bed and you're thinking, you know what? I want to read the Bible every day for the next 30 to 40 days, but I haven't yet. And you look at your pillow. Just tell that pillow, I will not see you yet. Maybe in your mind. Okay? But just decide, I'm not going to go to bed until I've done it. And that helps. That actually helps new habits develop. And so you may want to start in, in reading Luke or, or John. These are accounts of Jesus. So we've been talking about him. This would be great. Just read Luke and John. And you could do a half a chapter. You could do a chapter. Go, go at your own pace like, like Ryan mentioned. And the second next step is, if you're still just kind of, oh, I'm in that 19%. There's teachings, but ah, it just seems like advice. It seems like kind of a crutch. Why don't you do some investigation? Why don't you look at some of those resources on that sheet? And read a book. But what I encourage all of us to do is, don't just stay doing the same thing. Take a step. And as you take the step, see, see what God does. Will you pray with me? We're going to sing song back to God, and then we're going to receive our offering. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that you've actually given us the scriptures. And as we talk about it, there's a sense in which this shows your love for us because we actually could be left without any guidance. We could be left trying to figure things out on our own, but you loved us enough to give us this collection of your ideas and your thoughts and your commands for us to experience the best kind of life. So God, we thank you. We thank you for how you operate as a guide. You actually give us instruction. So God, where we are, we we just ask that you will give us the strength to make the time to read it. And in our questions, help us to get the answers. In our fears, help us to have the strength. And God, we trust that you work as we actually read the commands that you've given us. And so we we ask for your help as we do this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.